Welcome to Teaching Borderlands. Uh, this podcast series uh, seeks to expand our vision for understanding the U.S. borderlines in order to be able to teach in theological education better. I'm your host, Efrain Agosto. I teach uh, New Testament studies at New York Theological Seminary, and I'm a member of this Wabash uh, Center Borderlands Theological Education team. And today, one of our team members, Dr. Eduardo Fernandez, joins me. Uh, Dr. Fernandez is a professor of pastoral theology and ministry at the Jesuit School of Theology uh, of Santa Clara University, uh, which is located in Berkeley, uh, California. He's also on the faculty of the Graduate Theological Union there in Berkeley. Uh, among several uh, volumes that uh, uh, Eduardo has published, there's an important introduction to U.S. Latinx theology, La Cosecha, Harvesting U.S. Hispanic Theology. Uh, which came out in the year uh, in, in 2000. Uh, it's also come out in an updated version in Spanish, uh, published in Chile, and we congratulate you, uh, Eduardo, for that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Dr. Fernandez is a member of the Society of Jesus, and he's the past president of ACTUS, the Academy of Catholic Hispanic Theologians in the U.S. So we welcome you, uh, Dr. Fernandez, we are longtime friends and colleagues, <laughs> and so I'll, I'll, I'll often slip into calling you Eduardo or maybe even Eddie, uh, as as we uh, 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 it's uh, all permitted <laughs> as we go along in this interview. And it's a joy, and it's of a joy course. to have you uh, to, to have you with us, uh, Eduardo. Uh, I, I'd you. like you Thank to you, sort man. of explore uh, initially. Um, your experience as a theological educator uh, in the various settings that, 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 that you've taught, uh, what, what's nurtured you, what sustained you in that role and your journey uh, as an educator? Share a bit uh, sure. about that, please. Sure, sure, sure. I, I just, uh, I really enjoyed preparing this kind of looking back. I'm a big believer that we have to hacer memoria Mm. That we have to, it's a process of, of just looking back and remembering. And this is my 24th year of teaching here in Berkeley. And to my surprise, I still feel a lot of life around teaching, around mentoring, around doing research, around um, being part of communities. And, you know, in, in regards to your question about what has sustained me, well, you know, what comes to mind right away is the gente, the people, mm. people, grassroots communities who are disadvantaged, but not without hope. Uh, people who seem to have more resources and share with them. But at the same time, they also realize that that they need the poor and they need these grassroots communities and we, that we need each other. So that has been very exciting for me when we sort of the, the more affluent who have certain resources, economic resources, but also la gente, you know, mm -hmm. poor people who also have great resources, especially spiritual resources. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's terrific. I, and, and of course, this project in particular is engaging uh, the people, la gente, mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the border. You've been a, a professor at a theological school, Jesuit Theological Seminary to say a bit more about that as well, but uh, you've also uh, done a lot of ministry on the border, con la gente, with folks crossing the border, living on the border. Uh, you come from, I, I, if I recall correctly, mm -hmm. El Paso, Texas. Correct. So, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, these are important experiences, and say a little bit, and so this project that we're undertaking, you and I and a few other colleagues, 
uh, looking at theological education from the perspective of the border, uh, calls us back there. And I, so if you could share a little mm-hmm. bit about how uh, your, your, your ministry and your uh, uh, profession as a professor has taken you to the border. What have been those experiences that, that you've cherished about the border and why is it important to do theological sure. education with and on the border? Sure, sure, Efrain. Um, I think what I've realized is that it's really important to have a method, a theological method. Say when students are struggling to write a thesis or a dissertation, once they have a method, it's it's amazing what they can do. Or even as teachers, if especially if that method is dialogical, and we and we can keep learning from each other. So I've been surprised, you know, kind of. Um, looking back to where I grew up, but looking back from where I am now, is uh, how how important it has been that for me to think about la gente, the people, and what has sustained them, and then to discover these same communities in the lives of my students. Hmm. And during this pandemic, I've been going through my old theses and dissertations and and uh, I, you know, they're in the library, so I don't have to keep them on my shelf. Uh, I've been cataloging them, and uh, and one of the things I've realized is that it's so beautiful when the students have been connected with their communities. That once they have a method, they start paying attention to things they might have not before. Mm. Things like um, arts, the arts and their cultures. And we have many international students, especially students from Africa, from Asia. Um, And so to see them kind of reflect and things like, again, the arts or dance, uh, visual art, music, sayings, sayings like dichos. Mm. Uh, One of our students wrote a thesis in a biblical area, but he kept using a lot of his people's dichos mm-hmm. in their language. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you have a real insight into the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful to see him bringing that in, or devotional practices. So going back to the border, I, I think part of it, Ephraim, has been a, a conversion experience for me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, conversion in the sense of Lonergan and broadening our horizons because, the, you know, I remember when we were growing up on the border, we were always drawing the line. We were very clear that we were Mexican-Americans and not Mexicans, like the Mexicans. Remember, this is just five minutes. Uh, I, wor- I was born about five minutes away from the border. I worked in a parish as a young priest, two blocks from the U.S.-Mexican border, because it's the Rio Grande there. And so we're always drawing our lo- of a line. And to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but we saw ourselves as better than mm. the people of Ciudad Juarez. Mm. You know, we were more educated. We worked harder. We were part of this great country. And it, it took some getting, some leaving that valley, that El Paso Juarez Valley, and starting to appreciate more, even of the way I was raised. And I think one of the things I appreciate about how I was raised is that our church community helped me to bring together faith and culture. They didn't separate the sacred or the profane so much as kind of dominant U.S. culture does. I'll give you examples. I grew up in a parish where 
we were really pushed, this would have been in the 60s and 70s, we were really pushed to hold on to our language. Uh, mm. I remember the pastor would say, uh, if you just speak one language, you're like a, a bird with one wing. Mm. But if you hold on to your Spanish and English, you can fly. <laughs> wow. And as a little kid, to hear the pastor say that, no, and then to hear, uh, we had some sisters, some of them were from Mexico. Some of the Jesuits were also from Mexico. And I guess it's just that we grow up thinking that Spanish is such a language for persons who are not highly formally educated. You know, again, I'm embarrassed to say this, but, you know, always the people who work in the fields, who work in the kitchens, who are always sweeping, you know, they're not, most of our teachers were not Latino, Latina. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, although some of the sisters and like I mentioned, the priest, he was Mexican-American, the pastor. But so one of the things they tried to do is to bring examples of our culture and to help us to become proud of who we were. So uh, ballet folklorico, mariachis, uh, a sense of the history of who we were, the, to have, for example, I never even thought, Efrain, that I could read in Spanish because I they called me el gringo viejo at home <laughs> because I spoke so much English. <laughs> and, and I remember the pastor just like, bring that book over here. Of course you can read Spanish. Hmm. And, and so that, that kind of immersion and then getting to know the older people, many of whom were immigrants, and having to speak Spanish with them and then as I left that valley, and especially when I did Latin American studies, I realized what richness. That was, mm -hmm. it was just, it was such a richness because, you know, for that very reason, going back to what I said, the sacred and the profane are not separate. So for our celebraciones, our fiestas, we not only had the celebrations within the church building, but outside we'd have uh, mariachis and matachines, indigenous dancers. Uh, for my 25th anniversary as a priest, I was there not that long ago. The native community, the Tigua uh, Pueblo, uh, native peoples, they blessed me. Uh, there was the buffalo dance. There was the dance of the eagle. Remember, we're all very close to New Mexico. Right. So, uh, so it was that I just felt like the the, the culture... Me estaba ubicando. Mm -hmm. It was placing me in a certain sacred cosmos. How does one bring that rich cultural Latino, Latina experience, the language issues? You know, the, I, I can resonate. You know, I retain Spanish because our pastors and, 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 and uh, youth leaders insisted on it. Uh, in my, you know, I grew up in a, in a different setting, uh, urban New York City, uh, Iglesia Pentecostal, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there, you know, uh, most most everything uh, took place in, in, in Spanish. And uh, some of us resisted because we were taking English in, in school and we wanted to, you know, bring that into the church. <laughs> but it really kept us, you know, uh, close to the, to the community and to the culture. How does one... Uh, bring that to bear on how we teach our seminarians, our students. And of mm. course that's, that's one of the projects that we, that this project undertakes is sort of res helping theological schools, some of whom don't even have 
Latinx students uh, in their midst or faculty for that matter, um, uh, help them remember or, uh, or connect mm -hmm. to these uh, Latin American realities. How does one do that, uh, given your vast experience, both in the parish and in the community and now uh, 25 plus years in, in theological education? It's very important for people to realize that they have a culture, that we all come from cultures. Mm -hmm. And and that's, you know, a fish doesn't know it's a fish until it gets out of the water. So, so I think those of us who have had to live on the margins or have had to, or who are bicultural, mm -hmm. we're constantly, I mean, the example you just gave, you're constantly being reminded uh, of, of these differences. So, so you have to do a lot more of your own cultural work. You have to do a lot more explaining. Mm. Uh, you live between worlds. You have to adapt more. That's a gift that we bring. Those of us who move between cultures, we, we develop those skills. Not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think one of the most important things we have to do is to get people to think about what shaped me, what shaped my worldview, uh, what shapes, you know, my vision, my sense of beauty, my sense of worth. Uh, what, how do I deal with, with, with the blues, for example? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, Efrain, I watched this uh, Ken Burns series on the history of country music. Right, right. I saw a few of those, yeah. That was such a conversion experience for me. Hmm. First of all, it was my nephew... Uh, who's a musician and in his 30s and i thought why is he interested you know his mm. style is more more rock more it wasn't country music that i knew of uh even though he was born in texas but you know what i saw especially through photography through music through the history of this country the history of the peoples who came here you know what what are the what are the what's the music that's shaping them why why did dolly parton Go have to go back to her mountain roots hmm. to really find her soul. Hmm. Uh, Alinda Rodstad, mm -hmm. you know, southwestern roots yeah. of Canciones de Mi Padre, etc. Um, you know, it, it, so so I think what's what's really important is just not, you know, to to discover it, and uh, the arts are a wonderful way of doing that mm -hmm. because somehow, and I I I love this Efrain in that series that they told you stories about how their own kind of country Western culture or hill culture uh, had been put down and were never seen as good enough. Mm -hmm. And, and they kind of had to rediscover it and help shape it. And then the, 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 the mestizajes, the mulates, the mixture. So it's, it reminded me of the beauty of jazz that, that has the contributions of, of the of Africa, no, or the music mm -hmm. of the African diaspora, you know. I, I know you're from Puerto Rico, and you clearly see that there, and other parts of the Caribbean. So I think that one of the ways that we do that is we show people, you know, we've been doing this forever, mm. and can we simply pay attention to, you know, what are the ingredients that have gone into this thing we call culture, and 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 not to be so quick to think, oh, it's just about my blood or it's just about my language mm -hmm. or where I grew up. So it seems like you've had uh, success, if I may uh, <laughs> use that term, in convincing your students that their culture, 
mm-hmm. and the culture of their classmates and the culture of the peoples and the places from which your classmates come from. That these are valuable uh, tools for understanding faith, religion, theology, mm-hmm. uh, humanity. <laughs> so say a little bit about the, the challenges and successes that you've had in theological education and why this particular project, uh, I mean, you've got plenty to do, <laughs> plenty to work on in your, in, mm-hmm. in your own setting. Why this particular sure. Borderlands project attracted you uh, so that you could, you know, uh, further dialogue about why understanding culture and cultures on the border is so vital to good quality theological education. Sure, sure. I think, again, I have to remember that not everyone grew up where I did. Mm. And not everyone within five minutes can see elements of the so-called first world um, uh, come, you know, rub shoulders with that of the two-thirds world. So it happens so quickly, but we grew up with this, but not everyone has that experience. So, you know, I just remember, for example, as kids, it was very common to cross the border. You didn't even need a passport. You would just say, when you came back to the U.S., you'd say uh, American citizen, and they would let you across. So we'd buy sugar or fruit or get 50-cent haircuts. We were a lot of boys. <laughs> I had seven brothers and three Those sisters. Those were the days, man. Those were the days. <laughs> I love for those. Nobody, you know, it was kind of, but I remember it was, it was, there was a lot going on because you'd see kids begging and kids were barefoot. Mm. And my father, even though he had been born in the U.S., but he was orphaned by the age of 12. So, you know, he could, he was very compassionate toward these, these kids that were begging on the street. So I think, I think that one of the things where I've seen where people start to ask themselves the kinds of questions you're saying and that we're doing in our theological schools are these immersions. Right. Uh, and, and when we started doing these more formally with uh, Mexico, for example, what, uh, you know, I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a, a Jesuit. I'm a member of the Society of Jesus. So we're a world organization. And one of the things that they told us is, you know, if, if you bring students here to Mexico, you know, we want to work with you. We don't want you just to take them to the slums and make them feel like, okay, now they've seen Mexico. They've seen the real Mexico. Because they said the real Mexico is a lot more. Hmm. You know, the real Mexico are, are centuries and centuries of history and art and resistance and tradition and, and you know, mestizaje and uh, it's architecture, it's, it's philosophy. It's, and so what our students were often impacted by is this is not what they expected. Hmm. They, again, they thought, okay, we're going to go there and we're going to be in very poor neighborhoods and we're going to feel good that, you know, we're in solidarity with the poor. Well, that's nice, you know, but what happens when you're also humbled by what they have in the sense of the aguante, you know? <laughs> the, I, I don't know how you translate aguante. It's kind of like a resistance. Yes, uh, yes, that's what I thought you meant by aguante. Yeah, yeah. aguante, you know, like 
all kinds of, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you have to ask yourselves, well, where do they get this? What's, what sustains them? What's their faith world like? Hmm. Uh, What feeds them? What, what keeps them together? And, and I think that this is where our theological schools have so much to learn uh, in, through these kinds of immersions, but, but that are also ones in which we don't simply look at the socioeconomic. We look at the spiritual, mm-hmm. the philosophical. Um, for example, like praying, the power of praying in these immersion groups, that sense of, wow, we're all connected. No, we're all children of God. And I'm here we are in a refugee house praying with these persons, but we're all children of God. And, or for example, the biblical stories that come alive. Um, a, a powerful way for me, and one of the reasons why I love this project, it has helped me to reflect theologically mm-hmm. on ritual. So ritual, uh, in this case, the posada, this Joseph and Mary this custom that they go looking for housing, uh, for shelter, as Jesus is about to be born. And so as a kid, we'd go in the neighborhoods and it would be cold and, you know, they slam the door on you and they sing to you, go away. And and it feels awful because you're rejected and stark and cold and, you you know, you, you go and, you know, even though it's kind of role-playing, and eventually, you know, you're going to get accepted and you're going to come in, but it feels mm-hmm. so good when you get accepted. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for me, Efrain, I couldn't get over because like for the last 25 years or so, I've been spending Christmas Eve at Annunciation House, which is a house for refugees. It's about, it's about, it, it they opened during the Central American War. Mm. And, um, but, and then uh, Herrera and Zarate did this modern kind of posada called Posada Sin Fronteras. And you can download it for free. And posada they, they, Sin Fronteras. Posada Sin Fronteras. Got it, yeah. Posada Sin Fronteras. Zarate and Herrera. Mm-hmm. And if you... It, but Efraín, can you imagine? I mean, the, the words are so contemporary. You know, it speaks of words like la migra, the border patrol, mm-hmm. uh, about papeles, about having documents, about being undocumented, about your 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 wife having to being about to give birth, and and we're we're doing that right in the setting of people who have just come across or are living that reality. I I, I could barely sing that. Wow, what has been the uh response, feedback from uh, seminarians that you take on these immersion uh, trips as part of their, you know, uh, curricular work. Uh, They're not from uh, uh, Mm -hmm. these parts of the world. Uh, Maybe they've lived in in more comfortable settings or how how they react to this? Well, I, I think, I think at first it's, it's very shocking and um, they're, they're kind of overwhelmed. Mm. I I feel like a little bit like when I first went to India and everything is times 10, I would say. So the poverty times 10, but also the beauty times 10, the Mm. hospitality times 10, the spirituality times 10. I think they're very overwhelmed. And 
but they feel, you know, there's nothing like children. Mm. Uh, you know, for nothing, the, the scripture says a child shall leave them. Mm-hmm. And so they play with the kids and they realize children are children, you know, and they, they you know, we can help make a better world for them. And they, they don't, um, especially when they hear people's stories, they, they realize again that, that there's a lot that they admire about how is it, as one, one student told me, how is it that these people who have so little are much happier than I am? I don't mm. get it. Mm. I just don't get it. Mm. Um, what I also have found, Efrain, is that, that the most successful immersion programs are the ones that they provide opportunities for the students to reflect. It's mm. not enough just to experience. Right, right. You know, you have to reflect, 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 in many ways, reflect through prayer, reflect through spiritual practices, reflect through um, reflect intellectually. So, like, I found that you have to provide them with, with material as to why the situation is what it is. Mm-hmm. And in their reflections, they've said, we really appreciated hearing about the effects of, like, like you know, what U.S. policy the effect it has on Latin America, for example. Right. You know, and not to just leave it at that, but also to get them to think about, so what would that look like when I get back? Um, you know, that I think you remember this saying from the 70s, something like think, uh, lo- no, act locally and think globally. Sure, I remember that, absolutely. You know? And so, so what we try to get them to do through these is, and this is particularly, there's a Casa Encuentro, and they, they uh, have groups that go down there, is to get them to think about, okay, well, you know, back home, who's, who is marginalized? Uh, you know, it, it's like, you think the only battle for justice is the one that has to be fought here on the border? Mm. And as Robin Garcia, one of the founders of Annunciation House, which is still going, uh, said, you know, your job is to go back home and politically do something about this because the politicians you elected are largely responsible for what's going on right now mm-hmm. on the border. So you've mentioned uh, hospitality centers. You mentioned uh, La Casa. Uh, hospi- you know, uh, uh, say a bit more about how these entities, these uh, local uh, 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 retreat centers, uh, have really done the kind of work that seminaries should be aware of so that we can uh, use them as tools, not use them, but, you know, engage with sure. them as sure, tools sure. for the education of our, of our seminarians. I think for one is, is it's to, you know, as some, one student said, it's hard to hate up close. Mm. If you've been told that, you know, these hordes are coming across the border, therefore we got to build this wall. And, and then here you are meeting these, these lovely people who are so gracious and the kids, you're playing with the kids and, you know, it's breaking your heart. Somebody mm-hmm. said the, the courage to have your heart broken. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to hate up close. Yeah. So, you know, so what it makes me think about is, I mean, think about when we, the team for this project, have been together. A big part is just telling our stories. 
and and laughing about certain things and looking back. And I think, you know, I, I think I found that when you invite a speaker to class or now zoom them in, a big part is to hear that person's story. And 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 you know, so it, let's go back to these hospitality centers on the border. And many of them are now in conjunction with these different faith communities. So maybe the Lutheran church is providing uh, so many cots. And then, you know, uh, this other parish is providing soup every Wednesday or it's all this kind of stuff. Well, you get to know the people mm -hmm. and it does something to you. So how can we facilitate this kind of exchange and how can we create circumstances, you know, uh, create settings in which we simply get to know the people and think about for, for seminarians is crucial. Sure. The good shepherd <laughs> knows his sheep mm -hmm. and they know, they know him, they know her. Well, speaking of knowing, mm -hmm. um, we know our schools, mm. whether it's Jesuit school of theology, my school, New York theological seminary, uh, other colleagues at union and, and, and Austin, uh, mm -hmm. I own a college that are on on our team. We know our schools, and, and we know we've been engaging with them, uh, like you and me for twenty five years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 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 what part of this project is reaching out to seminaries we may not know as well? What there may be allies there for this work. Uh, um, if you were, you know, to go to a, a, a sister seminary, a seminary that that, that uh, maybe even across the country, right, uh, mm -hmm. East Coast rather than West Coast, of course, um, what would you like them to know uh, uh, that might impact their curriculum and their faculty and their research and their emerging experiences uh, for their students? What 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 kinds of things would, uh, as part of this this project, or even as 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 a as someone committed to this to this work, what would you like uh, other seminaries that don't know you or don't know your work as well? What would you like them to know? Hmm. I think I would like them to know that it's okay not to know <laughs> <laughs> when you start. You yes, know? absolutely. Yeah. Right, because you know I don't know why we think that as academicians, we have to know everything. It's so hard to say, I don't know. Mm. And, and as our student body became more and more international, we realized there was so much we didn't know. Uh, and that well, you just can't assume. And isn't that what culture is like? It's mm -hmm. very, very complex. We don't even know our own culture. Mm -hmm. How could we? It's so complex. So it's okay not to know. And you know, what, what are the, what kind of uh, environments can we create whereby we can learn about each other, you know, for starters, we just can't assume, uh, I mean, what, what's it like? I, I, I made the mistake early on of, of kind of, well, you know, white middle-class U.S. culture. And I had students pull me aside after class and say, let me tell you a few things. Let me tell you about how it was like when I grew up, you know, mm -hmm. and I forgot that culture is also uh, economic, uh, much, you know, when you think about the sexual diversity, when you, I mean, there's so many intergenerational, uh, the culture of ableism. Mm -hmm. So it's okay not to know. And another thing I would like to, to know is 
I mean, to, to hear a little bit about how are there Latinos and other racial ethnic minorities, like how, how, are, how are they faring in their schools? Mm -hmm. um, what's, you know, if, if, if they don't, you know, if, if they're not in their schools and they're in an area that has a significant number uh, or there is that possibility, and, and here we are sitting at a, a banquet of theological education. And you have so many people that, you know, are, are not even getting their, their I mean, what they need. The, uh, you know, that they want theological education. They have the experience. They want to reflect on it. They want to know scripture better. They want to know uh, faith traditions. They're thirsty. But why aren't they there? Hmm. I, I, I. I, I would like to hear about what what are the perceptions sometimes even here in the GTU where um, you know again a large part of our school is international but large part has to do because we're an international community right but but you know when I go to some of the sister schools here in the consortium they'll ask me questions like what can we do to attract more diversity so mm -hmm. so I you know, I think it's important to hear from from the that world. Um, what you know, what do students from your school who are diverse? What you know, what are their challenges? And maybe we we can help them to hear um, to hear that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're you're a uh, scholar practitioner. Mm -hmm. You think about. Uh, theology in terms of how it impacts culture, how it impacts uh, uh, ritual, how it impacts um, uh, pastoral ministry, the parish, uh, uh, la gente. Mm -hmm. um, uh, talk a bit about how being a practitioner uh, of, of Christian theology uh, has impacted, uh, particularly on the border, uh, has impacted your research, uh, what, what you like to learn and write about, as well as teach your students. So say a little bit about the impact of being on the border uh, and teaching and taking students there uh, has impacted your own uh, teaching and research and writing, mm. your scholarship. Sure, sure. You know, first of all, uh, I want to begin by saying it's okay not to know, and I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the border is just so complicated. Yeah. It is so uh, it is so interdependent. It is such a complex reality. So when I started doing these interviews last fall, I thought, wow, here I grew up and I assumed I knew this world. I don't. Mm. I don't. It's much too complex. Um, I'm, I'm, and... Think of also what demographic groups are coming. For example, we have more Central Americans now than we did 20 years ago coming up or 30 years ago. So yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with a Mexican reality. But even then, when I worked in Mexico for almost a year, I realized I'm not Mexican the same way the Mexicans are Mexican. So it's okay. I have to remind myself I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that not knowing has some big advantages. Ephraim, I never thought I would be mentoring so many Asian students. Huh. 
I have, uh, you know, probably like five right now doctoral students, uh, not counting the ones who graduated, but that I'm mentoring them and they're Asian, they're Korean, they're Filipinos. And it's, you know, I'm thinking, how did this happen? I was going to come here and mentor Latinos. Uh huh. But one student said, because you don't know, you ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't think and did that, did that surprise them? Uh, uh, I, I, I think, I mean, I, did, what, what, what surprised them? The, the, the not, the, all the questions you were asking. You know, the fact that you were asking questions. Oh, I think it did. Yeah. I think it did because they, they said, you know, we're not used to our professors mm. asking so many questions. Right. Um, normally they, they lecture mm -hmm. and they tell us what we have to know, <laughs> but you're just asking all these questions. They said, but we kind of like it yeah, yeah. because, and one Filipina told me, please ask me questions in class because I, I you know, I, I'm afraid to raise my hand. But if you ask me a question, I, I, I can say something. And one student told me, well, you must remember that we're taught that if you, if you ask too many questions, if you speak too much, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're so visible, you're like a nail. It's going to be hit down back. Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and again, I don't know, but I, I do know that when I go, when I have been in their countries like Korea, like the Philippines, uh, like China, Vietnam, I, I realize how much I don't know mm. and how much I need other people to just help me survive mm -hmm. or even find out where the toilet is. Mm. So, so I think it's a gift. It's yeah. a gift not to know. Yeah. Well, this project uh, on Borderlands Theological Education, uh, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, in, also says we don't know, but hopes to know, uh, learn a few things, and hopes to share a few things with other schools. Uh, at the end of the project, a couple of years down the road, what do you hope that we've learned? Mm. What, what kinds of things you hope uh, have been added to our knowledge base about theological education, about theological education with our, 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 our beloved on the border, those who've crossed, mm -hmm. those who've grown up there, uh, those who, who up to now perhaps have not been listened to as they should have been. What do you hope that we do know uh, mm -hmm. down the road uh, in, in engaging this, this, this uh, uh, Borderlands project? Sure. Sure. I think, I think one thing, Efrain, is, and this is what I've liked about the kind of dialogue we've had as a team mm -hmm. for this project, that we're realizing one size doesn't fit all, that there is great, great diversity, even among us, uh, you know, Latinas and Latinos. And we just can't assume. I mean, just, we just started out by sharing how we grew up and and your world is different than mine, similar in many ways, but we both come under that name. So one size doesn't fit all in, in, in terms of how theological schools uh, need to make, uh, you know, kind of 
open their doors more to our communities. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is that, yes, you know, it's okay not to know, but we do know something. You know? And, and so I think that I'm hoping that by the end of this project, I could walk away with greater clarity of what I do know. Mm. Because I do know that that the that growing up where I did in those communities, that the education I received, that uh, people who sacrificed for me taught me a lot. And that's something that now I can share with my students and with la gente who keeps mm -hmm. teaching me, mm -hmm. but I also teach them. Sure. And, you know, and so we do know something. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think one of the things we will know more is that well, there's a reason why people are concerned about this. And, and we do know that thirst exists. And we do know that this is the message of the gospel, um, to be concerned about the marginalized. That's what Jesus, that's, that's what Jesus was all about. Mm -hmm. So we do know something. And, and, you know, with this scholar practitioner that you were referring to earlier, well, theology is the second step. step. Gustavo Gutierrez says. Hmm. First, we live the Christian life. You know, we, 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 we practice it. We contemplate. We pray. That's the first step. We experience. And then we reflect on it. We articulate it. Hablar de Dios, mm -hmm. he says, uh, to God speak. But it's the second step. So that's, that's what I love about what practitioners can do but they don't have the luxury that we scholars do to do the kind of theological reflection mm -hmm. that it requires. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping I can grow in that, in this project. And I'm hoping I can share what, what I've been blessed to receive. Well, we're at the end of our time together. Unfortunately, we could talk uh, uh, for a longer time, I know. Uh, and I just want to be sure before we close, uh, 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 this interview, if you could, if there's anything that you really wanted to be sure folks heard from you at this moment, uh, uh, that didn't get out, uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the questions I asked or, and the answers you shared. Uh, uh, so anything Eduardo that you'd like to share, uh, with our audience or our podcast audience, uh, uh, as we close this time together. I guess I'm just re reminded if I, because again, I, I just love your questions. They really helped me to, to think about uh, how, how blessed I've been. I would just say again and again, we hear in scripture, don't be afraid. Hmm. I mean, that is so common again and again. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, and I think, yeah, we're living in crazy times. But, you know, <laughs> we have that saying in Spanish, o te la crees o no te la crees. <laughs> Either you believe it or you don't. Yeah. You know, if, if we call ourselves people of faith, well, it's time not to be afraid. It's time to be bold. Mm -hmm. It's time. And, and this pandemic and this uh, use of electronic media, this is opening all kinds of opportunities. I hope I hope, you know, I hope we're not afraid and we allow our creative juices guided by the spirit to open us up to this new reality. Thank you so much, Eduardo Fernandez, uh, for sharing these powerful insights, your perspectives on this important work, on how theological education can be more uh, in tune 
the, with the context of the border and the borderlands. Uh, I want to thank those of you who've been listening to this po podcast uh, uh, with myself, Efrain Agosto, and uh, Dr. Eduardo uh, Fernandez. Uh, we will continue this dialogue. We look forward to other uh, conversations in this series. And thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Eduardo Fernandez, for sharing this time uh, with me today. God thank bless you. you. Thank you, Efrain. God bless you, too. Thanks for inviting me. Certainly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teaching Borderlands. The host of this podcast is Dr. Efren Agosto from New York Theological Seminary. Music was produced by Mrs. Naomi Cuellar and edited by Aidan Nathaniel Diaz. This podcast was made possible by the generous funding from the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. You can find more about this project at artelegrimas.org.